is how you remove the bit of you, the part that isn't really you. You take a knife, quite a sharp knife, or a rock you picked up from the desert floor, something older than you could possibly be, almost as old as the planet you're on. Then you stand there on land that is yours, except it isn't yours, cause land cannot be owned. You take the knife, or you take the rock, hold it so it's cutting surface faces you. Put its point on your sternum, right at the top of your breastbone. Then you score a line from there to your navel through the muscle and the fat until you find your rib cage. Put your fingers into your ribs, pull out until your chest is peeled away, and you are exposed to the air, and you can see your own heart beating. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Shedcast with Putting It Together. My name's Brian O'Sullivan, and uh, I'm glad to be talking to you today. Uh, last night we all got a chance to see Chris Thorpe's show Status and uh, it was it really blew me away. It was tremendous. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Um, I got a chance to talk to Chris. I actually spoke to him before he went and performed the show and I had never seen it before. Um, so it's an interesting dynamic. I'm not sure at what point in the day I'm going to be speaking to future guests, but in the case of Chris, um, we spoke the about oh, half an hour before he went on stage really. So that was interesting. Um, I was kind of asking him to tell me about it, to tell us about it without um, giving too much away, I suppose. You'll have seen it, but, but perhaps you'll have seen it and uh, now you'll listen to him talk about it. And the two go together quite well for me. It was it was interesting to have spoken to him, to just have met him right on, on the moment before we spoke um, and then to sit and watch him give that performance. Brilliant, brilliant show. I, just just right up my street, kind of music and storytelling and just very, um, very direct, I felt. Although, as he talks about magical realism and, you know, there's an element of sort of the fantastical, um, it is very grounded and direct and straight to the point. Um, and yet, and yet subtle and beautiful and, um, you know, he, seem, he seems to me to have a love for language as well, which I really enjoy playing with words and stuff. Um, yeah, so I, I just, I really got a kick out of it and I hope that you did too. Um, a very established performer um, and really clear on what he's, what he's talking about, of course. Um, so yeah, it was just a joy to watch, but it, and you know, a joy in as much as it was beautifully done, but but uncomfortable in as much as it, it hits some, some really prescient, truths as well about about identity about nationality about you know britishness quote unquote britishness um and whiteness as well um so yes an an absolute joy and uh, that's just show number two of the many that are happening so for more information about what's happening go to shedinburgh.com you can get tickets there you can see the schedule and uh, the schedule ha um yeah so tickets start from four pounds which is which is nothing for the the quality of this lineup is unbelievable so please do give generously dig deep the money goes towards bringing people to the fringe next year people who might not be able to afford to come otherwise because it's a massive undertaking financially and otherwise uh, to come to the fringe so you're helping you know new and emerging artists to to make their way make that journey for the first time perhaps so um, yeah, please do give generously. Remember, shedinburgh.com. So um, now I want to bring you a conversation I had with Chris Thorpe right before he went on stage. And uh, we got into the, the nuts and bolts of how the show was made, what it's, what it's about, what his work is about in general and how he approaches it. So uh, here we are. It's me and Chris Thorpe and we are putting it together. <laughs> head 
So you're about to go on and do your show? Yes. And when was the last time you did it? Um, I, I was trying to think that on the way up here. Um, probably about seven or eight months ago. Wow. Was that the last thing you did? Um, it won't be. The, I mean, it's not the last sort of work thing I did. It's the last live thing I did. Yeah. Apart yeah. from maybe a sort of a couple of. Uh, yeah, no, it's the last live thing I did. There were meant to be shows. Yeah. Obviously, between yeah. now and back then, but uh, they they just didn't happen. And were you going to be at the festival this year? Uh, no, I was going to come, but mm-hmm, actually, yeah. it was going to be one of those rare years where the festival fell while I was in the middle of making something. Right. Okay. So there might have been a vague plan to just come up and just do one afternoon to try some stuff out in front of people, but yes. I would have, um, I would have been very happy to be a, a punter for a few days. It's quite nice sometimes just to sort of jump about and be part of it. It's happened so rarely yeah. for me. Uh, over the past few years, that the times when it has happened, I've kind of got the point of the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, Oh, this is what it's for. Oh, okay. Yeah, God. from this <laughs> from this side of the whole enterprise, this is a lot of fun. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. I find it also kind of stressful as well, though. Like running, you know, like trying to get from one thing to the other and trying to get, but you know, like has anybody got a ticket for this and all that stuff. But I think the trick is like to you don't. You don't have to do that when you're just here to watch stuff. Yeah, I think you can you can slip back into the kind of working mindset and and kind of overburden yourself with stuff because you feel like your time's yeah. more limited than it is when you you know because because yeah, it true, is quite yeah. limited when you're here doing a show because it's not just about the hour of the day that you're doing the show or the two hours of the day yeah. that you're doing the show. It's getting your head into that. It's getting your head out of that. It's doing all the stuff around that that needs to happen, making sure everyone's got yes, what, yeah. they, what they need to do it and uh, making sure you get enough rest. You yeah, know? which is relatively rare. Yeah, which is weirdly just fills the entire day up. <laughs> That's it, <laughs> you know, it's gone. Just making sure that you're in the right <laughs> frame of mind for that. For that hour. Yeah, hour yeah. and a bit. Yeah. So when was the time, this, this show that you're doing for us today, Status, mm. was at the Fringe before? Yeah, it was it was at the Fringe two years ago. Uh, it opened in twenty eighteen. Uh, so it's the Fringe first winner. Yeah, it ah. did. It it, uh, it 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 won a Fringe first in twenty eighteen when it was first on. I did the full month here. I was in the um, the big room at Summer Hall. Oh, nice. Um, which was great. And then it came back last year as part of the British Council Showcase. I I came and I did. I think nine or ten shows mm-hmm, mm-hmm. later on in the festival. So tell us a bit about Status then. It's a show that came out of... Um, I want to say it's a show that came out of Brexit, but that's actually not true, and I actually specifically say that it's not a Brexit show. I saw that in, in the trailer. The show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it certainly came out of the same things that Brexit is an offshoot of mm-hmm. as well. And a lot of other conversations around the world in a lot of other places about who we are, how we relate to our history, um, what our kind of seemingly arbitrary sense of national identity in some ways is, the effect it can have, the kind of relative levels of privilege it confers on you depending on um, who you are as an individual. Mm. Uh, So I was thinking about that a, a lot, and I guess it was in the run-up to the Brexit vote, when I started thinking about the show, there was a re-emergence of a, 
a conversation about British values. I was hearing mm. um, British values a lot as a phrase in a way that I hadn't for for quite a while. Uh, and I guess that's where it came from because I am I allowed to swear in this? Mm-hmm. I mean, my immediate reaction to hearing the phrase British values is what the fuck are they? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and it means a different thing to me as a kind of white British person with all the, you know, as I travel a, around the world, which I'm lucky enough to do with all the privilege that that passport confers on me and where it meets the privilege of, like, who I am. Yeah, yeah. I am a, an outgrowth of whatever those British values are, but also I don't... There is nothing that forces me to participate in that conversation. So if I feel uncomfortable when people talk about British values, if I feel that essentially that's narrowing the idea of what it means to be from Britain mm-hmm. yeah. and making it more dangerous uh, for other people, I don't really have to participate in that. So the show, which now I realise I'm presenting as kind of a, a lot more serious than it is, but it came out of that idea of forcing myself to actually think about those things that I don't have to think about yeah so it's a show about someone who you know his reaction to that someone called Chris who is me but Mm, there's a very interesting thing in a show about like I'm not I'm not really comfortable with being this guy but I am this guy whose discomfort with the idea of having to talk about what it means to have a nationality kind of drives him to try and escape that like psychologically and literally so So there is an imagined narrative then although you are kind of there and it's you it's an imagined narrative in the sense that the show's the story of a journey it's one of those classic kind of you know it pretends to be one of those classic guy goes on a journey shows right like the 12 stages of the hero's journey yeah it's not um you know it's not that sort of classically structured Mm -hmm. yeah but the journey itself is invented. The journey itself is that like, unlikely and has elements of like magic sure. in it. Okay. But at the same time, everything on that journey, even if the story that is being told to me or the thing that I am going through is happening in an impossible way, um, everything is true and everything is based on something that I did. I did a lot of research around this show. I spoke to people all over the world about how they feel their sense of nationality and if it's not tied to a specific country like a country that the world allows to exist yeah yeah um what is it tied to how does it constitute you and it's more about the sense of uh what you are comfortable belonging to and being seen as so i spoke to you know people from new zealand to nigeria to uh you know people i met in germany who had traveled there from Syria in that big wave of sort of migration a few Mm -hmm. years ago um, across Europe Um, a lot of people in places in the UK like places like where I'm from uh, where people would have voted a different way to me in the Brexit referendum Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, about why and how their sense of Britishness played into that and uh, to people who had a sense of belonging to a nation that actually isn't recognised by the world as a nation. And all of the um, stories that I was told are influenced the show, and some of them are very explicitly in the show. 
Yeah. So even though the journey's made up and it's that sort of magical realist kind of thing, I'm a bit suspicious of that phrase, but it's been used a lot about the show, and I think fair enough. It's kind of all the rage as well. Is it? Yeah. So I've been accidentally, I've been accidentally fashionable as well, which is always. <laughs> That's but, the only way I've ever been fashionable. Yeah. Too. No. Same here. Um, you know, even though, even though the framework's kind of able to play with, you know, fantasy and magic and unlikely mm. happenstance, everything in the show is true. There's nothing I say that wasn't said to me. Sure, sure. You know, so uh, there's that. almost a verbatim element to it, then. I suppose there are. There are times when the people I meet in the show tell me stories that are based very closely on things that people said to me. Yeah. But I wouldn't I wouldn't go as far as verbatim and there's definitely I mean, the, one of the things that is a real advantage in this show is um that I am f- really shit at doing accents. <laughs> And yeah. you know, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's not something that I would do anyway. Is impersonate other people in the show. That's not the vibe you're. So the, for. the, the voices, the voices that are in the show, and the voices that are in conversation with the kind of central character of the show are all, kind of, presented. It kind of helps to get at what they're saying that we're not distracted by whether I'm pretending to be anyone effectively. Cause sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you say the words, but you don't. <clears throat> yeah, it's yeah. a bit of a. I I don't know. I'm not sure that pretending to be other people is is my forte. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's a totally different discipline in isn't that it, sense. I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Also, you. I mean, you you obviously use music, and as a big part of what you do, how does that? Has that always been there in your work? I mean, I've always been, I've always been a musician. I've always played in bands, and that was something that happened for many years in kind of parallel to the work I was doing in theatre. Yeah, and you know, still does in a way. But actually, more and more over the past few years, I've incorporated songwriting or live musical elements into quite a lot of the stuff that I do. And was that done, that's more recent than, than going back to say like any kind of training that you had, was that more traditional or classical or? What do you mean training? <laughs> I'm confused by the word training. Uh, Musical training. No, um, so was there a theatre training or was there? A, do you have a background in like a more traditional type of a theatre or no? I don't know, are you asking if I went to drama school? Uh, yeah, or did you do youth theatre or did you watch theatre as a really, kid? I didn't really do any youth theatre and there wasn't, there wasn't a huge amount of theatre I watched as a, uh, as a kid. Yeah. I mean, I went to, you know, I kind of went to the pantomime and stuff like that, and I was occasionally, I think I was in one, like, one play at school. It kind of all, I kind of accidentally went to university to study theatre, thinking I was going to do another course entirely. Mm-hmm. But the wonderful thing about it was there was absolutely nothing in the way of kind of formal drama training. There was theatre making Okay, and you can't really train people to do theatre making. What you can do is exactly what they did when I went on that course, which is throw a bunch of people into some rooms and say, "We'll help you make stuff." Uh, most of it will probably be shit for quite a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. You know, yeah. And and that's that's it. So it was. There's no. Um, there's not the only thing I really got was technical training. Mm-hmm, yeah. um, you know, in terms of the mechanics of theatre and not electrocuting yourself and how to 
focus lights and things like that, which is something that stood me in really good stead. But in terms of the stuff that goes on on the stage, we had to kind of work it out as we went along. But that's like being in a band as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, you, you're into the stuff you're into. You know what you, you know the effect you want to have on people. And it's about constantly trying and trying again to have that effect in the most effective way. Mm-hmm. And um, and cocking it up along the way, that's, yeah. so that's that's a training in itself, I guess. It sure is. I mean, I suppose what I was getting at is that some people would would do a course more like what you've described, and other people would do something that's uh, more like, let's say, an acting uh, training, and then break away from that and start to make their own work in the way that you do. So you have come really, you've always kind of been in this on the same track to some degree I suppose so yeah I mean even as a writer you know the stuff that I'm not in but I do write has mm-hmm. kind of come in a similar way because it I came from a devising background mm-hmm. um, yeah. I came from a collaborative background and actually the writing that I did for that is the thing that as my playwriting is rooted in there's no you know in a way I've had to learn like the classical structure of how a write a scene or a play which is something that I only very rarely employ because I I only do it when it's the absolute feels like the absolutely right thing to do I've had to learn that on the fly yeah in the yeah. same way as I've had to learn to play the guitar on the fly by listening to the records that I liked and then at the age of 13 or 14 going um oh well I better I better, I better work out how that's done yeah. and of course I'm never as good as that but I found my own version of that so it's it's all about um sort of learning as you go along so there's yeah yeah that's a really interesting thing so in a way every everything that i'm bringing to the stuff that i do is rooted in that idea of making it up as you go along yeah getting to the point that you know you need to get to yeah 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 yeah. so the show that was in the works for that was going to be in the works while you were here is that is that something you're still working on or if things changed significantly enough has it been chucked or is it on the back burner oh god no this i mean the show that um that i might have tried something out of uh, this time in edinburgh is the show with the same director rachel chavkin who i made this status and the previous show and this next show which mm-hmm. form a kind of loose trilogy okay and me and rachel are still working on that we've not been able to be together in a room we'd normally at this stage be spending as much time as we can together in a room kind of schedules permitting because she lives over in uh, New York and I live mm-hmm. in Manchester um, but we've still managed to carry on that collaboration and those conversations I've been having a lot of the research conversations that are equivalent to the ones that I had for status obviously I've been having them remotely but I had a lot of those conversations remotely anyway because there wasn't the budget to send me to New Zealand to talk to a kind yeah, of, of course, yeah. uh, Maori activist you know I couldn't uh, there's, there's no way that you can justify that amount of travel to have a two or three hour conversation so that's quite a familiar sort of continuation of the way that we work we just haven't been able to be in the same room which has been difficult but every I was really lucky at the start of when all this you know all this happened Mm. I'd just come off that I had a few gigs that I had to cancel but I'd just come off a whole load of touring like eight months of touring last year so I'd gone into a phase where there were two or three shows that I was going to have to sit down and start writing or I already had sat down and started writing. So certainly for the first part of this, um, I was doing what I would have been doing anyway, with little, obviously, um, things to take into account that I couldn't be in the same room as people. 
Yeah, so and it's pretty fortunate then. Yeah. I mean, you don't want to you don't want to say that any of this is lucky or fortunate, but I guess for me personally, yeah, like under the circumstances. Under the circumstances, yeah. um I could I could carry on a little more effectively. Like if it had happened at a different point in that cycle, as mm. it did for a lot of people I know. Yeah. Who were about to go into that kind of eight months of touring or nine months of touring cycle. Yeah. Um, a different point in that wave then it would have been a different thing for me. And it's been much more difficult for a lot of people because yeah, they sure. were at a different point in that cycle of development and execution, if yeah. you like. And what, you're about to do the show now in the shed. Mm-hmm. What has your kind of um, approach been or have you had to make a lot of changes? What have you been thinking about in the run-up to this? Well, I mean, this show, we made a show deliberately that had a lot of kind of visual and sonic elements in it that, we wouldn't necessarily use in my certainly my solo stuff so the show's got this like amazing constant video projection behind me by Andrew Scolding um, Catherine Williams did a who's a Edinburgh based artist uh, did a brilliant lighting design Jenny uh, uh, Gleis who's a German set designer we mm. work with Tanudra Amra Saria who's a it works with Sleep Dogs who is a uh, just a, an amazing composer and sound designer so we deliberately created a show that had you know those elements in it and they all work constantly during the show to kind of create a world in which I'm doing the thing mm. but at the same time a really important thing with my stuff for me my performance stuff is if it's needed I also need to be able to just do it sitting on a chair in a pub has like, that always been a, a thing, a yeah, stipulation for the you? the script needs to be able to support the absence of all those brilliant things. Yeah. So it's not the full show because the full show actually is all those brilliant things mm. and me all working together. But there is a version of the show that just has to be like doable with the same way you and me are sitting here on opposite sides of this long table. Yeah. I, if you haven't got a show that can do something with the work that you personally have put into it and survive that, then what you're doing is you're not doing enough work, Mm. I think, as a writer, because what you've done is you've outsourced work that you should have been doing to other elements of the show. Yeah, of course. So so it's a really interesting situation to be in because this show is essentially just a story I tell you and a few songs that I sing. And and that's at the heart of it, and you and that's the heart of it is what I'm going to do today. And will this be the first time you've done it in that stripped back version? No, I've done it in like when I was first trying it out before it, the before it came to Edinburgh for the very first time. My kind of preview shows were all in village halls in Devon, mm-hmm. um, uh, in places where it was impossible to do all those things. Yeah, so you have uh, had in experience sort of tiny that. little tiny little villages working with Beeford Arts, who are a brilliant. Uh, sort of arts organisation in Devon who deliberately put work into those smaller communities mm-hmm. that maybe wouldn't get it otherwise. And you can't you can't do all the things that I've just described in a village hall. And that was a really good way of road testing whether the show can stand up on its own. Because then, if I can do it on its own, then it deserves 
like Tanuja's input and Andres's input, Catherine's input, Jenny's input. It deserves all those things. It deserves the input of all those other brilliant artists. Whereas if I'm using the work of those brilliant artists to kind of fill in the gaps where I haven't done, yeah. I haven't put enough effort to in, prop you up. then the show doesn't deserve their, it doesn't, it doesn't deserve their participation. Mm. So it's, it's a really good way of road testing, you know, that you've, you've done the work. Well, I'm going to let you go and do it because you have to do it now. Right. It's all felt a bit serious and technically it's all felt a bit... <laughs> it's just a, a little, it's good, I think, for people are going to watch it and then they're going to hear you tomorrow. Tomorrow, I mean, yeah, yeah. you know, the day after. And a little bit of insight into how it came about and stuff. That's what I'm going for, so... No, that's brilliant. It's a really lovely conversation to have. It's great. You know. Thanks for having it. Um, thanks for having me. I'm going to I'm gonna go and... Go do your thing. Sit in this shed now and look at it and go... <laughs> Oh, <laughs> can't wait. How exciting. Can't wait to see it. Thanks so much. All right. Brilliant. Thanks, mate. Well, I'm sure you'll agree that that works as a perfect companion piece to Chris's show Status, which we saw last night. Um, and as you know, these shows are only being shown once. They're not available for download. You can't pause or rewind them. Um, it's a live experience in as much as we can possibly bring it to you in that way. So um, if you miss it, you miss it. So I do encourage you to book in advance for the shows that you want to see. Remember, go to shedinborough.com. The full schedule is there and the tickets are on sale till 3.30 on the day of the performance. And then the ticket, uh, the ticket booking system closes in order for us to get ready for the show and, and make sure everything's technically ready so there is a limited availability on this and as i say it's only being seen once so if you miss it you miss it which makes it all the more um, urgent for us to to book and to be there in the moment that it's being performed um just like theater you know um so that's one of the, the great things about this festival and um i think it, it gives weight to the work that you know if if we're able to pause it and go and get a cup of tea it's it loses something um so so the weight and the kind of um importance of the the work and the timing of it is held intact by the way this festival has been run which i think is so exciting so remember shedinburgh.com book your tickets before 3 30 on the day of each given performance so that you definitely get a ticket and they are limited so book now so uh that's another episode tomorrow i'll be bringing you another episode uh with annie george fragments of home um performing tomorrow sunday the 60th performing today so sunday the 16th of august but uh, the the podcast will come out on monday the 17th so i'm looking forward to that and in the meantime i just encourage you to get on there and find out what's on and and book your tickets because i mean judging by the standard we've had so far this is going to be amazing you know it already is really um, groundbreaking stuff and it's it's I'm sure that it's going to you know keep going in that that way so I'm very excited to be part of it and I get to go to the theatre every day and see shows which I didn't see coming this August I really didn't so I feel so privileged to be to be part of it and just to be able to sit on the sidelines and see all this amazing work it's tremendous now I would encourage you if you can to support this podcast as well you can do that by going to puttingittogethercast.com and clicking the yellow donate button which takes you to our PayPal account it's very simple in just a few clicks you can support the podcast financially with as little as a pound or two 
if you think that if you met me in the in the bar here at the Traverse or wherever that you would be willing to buy me a coffee and thank me for the podcast, then you can do that virtually. Remember, puttingittogethercast.com, click the yellow donate button and take it from there. It's really simple. Some people give a small amount each month. Some people give a larger amount, maybe a one-off or every few months. It's really up to you. If you can't afford to do it, please don't worry and please keep listening to the podcast. It's not contingent on you paying for it, but it does help me to do things like I'm doing right now. Make this trip to Edinburgh and spend this time to get these new episodes for you. Um, and I want to make it part of my income because it's it's a big passion of mine and other parts of income for a lot of us artists have um, died off, at least temporarily. So your support would be greatly appreciated. Remember to follow us on social media, Pod on Twitter and Instagram, and look out for our page on Facebook, which is called Putting It Together. And of course, follow Sheddenborough Fest on Twitter and Instagram, Sheddenborough Fest. All the information about the festival is there, and it's, of course, on the website, sheddenborough.com. Thank you so much for listening. Until tomorrow, when I bring you a new episode, a new guest, a whole other show, I'll just say what I always say. Cheerio now. So we pass out the colours and the crowd holds them up to construct this gargantuan flag. Then a dove is released from a liberal's apartment to capture a picture to tweet. If you feel solidarity, 